Bethel World Outreach Church. Reaching a city to touch the world. So as we um, as we transition to receiving the word of the Lord, I believe as we start this series, let's talk. I'm grateful to have been standing with Pastor Rice for 17 years, you know, in this church representing what the hands are. They're not just um, icons. They, they represent a reality behind the hand. They are not easy. They are not easy. You don't come to our church and put the icon up and say it's a given. You will have to fight for it. Freedom in this country was hard fought for. Diversity in this country is hard fought for. But one thing uh, that this series does is we talk about it. We don't want to, people don't want to talk about it. It's not as appropriate for the news to talk. They're talking about impeachment. They're talking about that. And you don't want to, nobody wants to say anything because they don't want to declare a side or a point of view. Don't be afraid. Why are you afraid? The, your Lord is Jesus. You don't have a boss other than him. We're designed to talk about it at this church. When things are difficult, we don't run from each other. We run to Christ and he helps us stay together. This is what he does. So there's a lot of ways I could introduce uh, Dr. Brooks as an author, someone who's speak, spoken to over 12,000 students. Um, there's not more than 12,000, it was about 12,000 this year? Students. Oh, you were talking about last year? Last year. We had 11,000 in our, yeah, 11,000 students last year. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Took a lot of campuses. Though. That was 37 campuses. 37 campuses. Hard work for small groups, but uh, yeah. It, it, it's, it's a big deal. Well, people are getting born again. The gospel is being defended, and people's lives are being changed. Um, again, I, I'm, it's staggering to believe that the movie um, is, has reached over 200 million people. I'm just, I'm just that's staggering. So why don't you put your hands together as he starts our series, Let's Talk, Dr. Rice Brooks. We, um, thank you so much, and welcome to Bethel. Welcome online. I, I, I get to watch online a lot, and so I'm always uh, glad when somebody acknowledges us. Thank you for wherever you're watching in the world. A lot of people from around the world are watching this, so we don't want to forget you. But um, Pastor James and I, a couple of weeks ago, had the privilege of being a part of something really special in Sacramento. A couple of years ago, a young man named Stefan Clark was shot in his grandmother's backyard, and uh, was a, it shouldn't have happened, obviously. But I, be, I was on my way to work with almost 200 pastors in the city, and then at the last minute it changed to this, obviously, crisis theme. And so I've been back a couple of times, and they came, some of the leaders came here, Francis Anfuso, one of the leaders, and said, what you guys are doing at Bethel, we need in our city to just show that though there is need for reconciliation, there are places where it is happening. And so we were a part of the Martin Luther King weekend. A few pictures here to kind of give you a backdrop. Some of them are blurry screenshots there. Uh, there we are, about 30,000 people in the march. This was on Monday. You can't get the scope. Maybe there's another picture that'll show the scope of the march. Uh, you, it, just, it just was sprawling. And then that, the that night before, there was a rally at this uh, several hun hundreds of leaders uh, the next picture, I think, is a picture of the choir. Of course, I thought, we both thought our choir was better. We just Much didn't want to. It was such a wonderful, they didn't have enough time to put different churches together. 
And then there we are telling our story in a nicer, we were in suits that time with ties. But uh, it was a joy to, to walk with, to not just walk with Pastor James, but to be able to offer solutions. Yes. Uh, again, reconciliation, there's a lot of work to do, but at least we can celebrate where it's happening. So thank you, Pastor James, for all you do. I just, he is a... Pastor James is kind of the Holy Spirit version of Marshawn Lynch. I just, he is the running back that just, speaking of this, why, to tell him why, even though Kansas City is closer to us, why you're wearing this. You don't have to take it. Yeah, I do. Okay, okay. So, you just see, you're just going so to get Matthew, that's it. Well, the thing is, as, as you get ready to preach, I'll, I'll take that jacket. I'll hold it. I'll okay, hold thank it you. you. Well, I just want to say, number one, it's impossible for us as Titan fans to cheer for Kansas City because they're the reason we're not going to the Super Bowl. Okay? That's I would why. Not say let's, let's say you said let's talk. Yeah. We're going to talk about that. Okay, so, good. But not now. Not, uh, not now. now. Okay, good. That. And the second thing is, I've been telling you, you need to get in a life group. You can meet amazing people. Jordan Matthews and his wife are in our life group. And so he's on the 49ers. So Augusta, we're going to be cheering for 81. You know, as uh, a man of uh, God. It's okay. a man of God on that team, Pastor uh, Rice. I got you. Pastor Rice, a man of God. Let's talk about it. I was, um, I was playing golf years ago, not that long ago, but I was playing golf with a coach that was really wanting to coach in the Super Bowl. He eventually did and won two Super Bowls, but we were playing in a thing called a scramble where you just kind of throw people together and each person gets a chance to shoot. So we had a long wait. It was for charity. And, and finally, he, you know, here he is, I wouldn't say stuck, but I don't think he would have necessarily chosen to play with me. But they assigned him. His players said, we need you to help him. Just talk to him. He's a little tough. But then we were stopped out on some, you know, waiting on the green to clear out. And he looked at me and said, i got to ask you a question. He said, how does this prayer and sports work? He said, if you got six Christians on this team and three on that team, he goes, did they win by three? I mean, he was seriously trying to figure out. Because you have all kinds of believers on all teams, and everybody's praying, you know, is it, are there going to be angels knocking the field goals down? You know, is there going to be angels tripping people? And I said, you know, it really isn't like that. I said, um, I said you know, we, we, if you're dedicated to Christ, I said, he gives you a peace. And I said, you're just able to do the best you can do. It's not about God fixing the games or having a favorite. And I said, if you want to know the truth, I said, you know, some, I said, yes, Christ will bless you. I said, but it's, if you look at history, uh, Christians have never done well in coliseums. So, yeah, you may be a Christian, but you might be eaten, you know. So anyway, but uh, we, all of it will go to God. You know, you watch today. At some point, whoever wins, they're going to give God the glory. And those that lose will say, you know what, sometimes it takes the, it takes the presence of God to lose right to not let that define your life and go into the tank. And that's not just for them. That's for your business. That's for your family. It's not over. Somebody texted me the other day with some kind of, you know, hey, I wish I, I'm so sorry about something. And, and I just texted it back. I said, it's not over. And it's not over. All right. I'm in the book of Acts chapter 2. And technically, it's not this morning anymore. We just turned past the hour where people think that uh, there's somewhere in the book of hesitations you're not supposed to speak beyond noon. I mean, it's like in the Bible somewhere, like, isn't that in there? Some, no, well, we're going we're gonna to go here, and we're going to go as quick as possible. It says, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. We're going to come back to that. They were all together in one place. 
And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were, seated, where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and, and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They spoke, the Spirit gave them utterance. It wasn't like the Holy Spirit came in and grabbed their mouths and began to kind of take them over like they were, you know. No, they spoke, the Spirit was giving them words to speak. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Very important. Devout men from every nation under heaven. They weren't living there permanently. They were literally, there was, a, there was this feast of Pentecost that had drawn people there. And at this sound, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who were speaking Tennesseans? Galileans, excuse me. In other words, these were not these were the kind of the rural people. These were country folk, so to speak, not from the big city. This was not from the major hub of Jerusalem. All of a sudden now God using people that were not expected to be used, especially in a cosmopolitan international sense. And how is it that we hear each of us, and how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Verse 13, but others were mocking, uh, others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Now you will, you will have within any spiritual experience the potential to dismiss it, especially if it comes in a package that you're not used to understanding. The scripture says that uh, the things of the spirit are not received by the natural man. Now it's so ironic because if you take the things that we're comfortable with, uh, you know, you can turn on, uh, you can turn on a, I remember on Saturday morning when I was growing up, they had shows, dance shows, or sometimes it was on Saturday night. And, you know, when you're watching dance shows and, and, and you got the music up, it looks normal. Turn the volume down and just watch people <laughs> doing what they do with no music. I mean, if you're not really understanding the context, it looks weird. Um, the spiritual things I remember looking at spiritual things. I remember walking into a church and people with their hands up and waving. You know, first time I went into a church, you know, there was the person next to me was kind of like they were, you know, working at the airport. They were moving the planes around and I'm kind of ducking like, you know, I mean, I grew up in a, a church where you did not raise your hand unless you had a question. And all of a sudden I began to immediately dismiss these people as strange and it was almost like a thought hit me like, well, you know, what I've been doing hasn't helped me so far. Maybe some of this helps. It was almost like I was able to kind of self-correct in the moment instead of automatically dismissing something and mocking it. Part of my astonishment was that verse 4 we read, Acts 2-4, where it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Now, when I saw that, 
I remember thinking to myself, if that ever happened to me, then I don't think I could ever possibly doubt anything again because it was almost like instead of just reading about something in a, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, something now that was here could happen now. Because what I was seeing growing up in Christianity did not compare to what I saw here. You know, you go to, you go to some restaurant where they've advertised uh, consistently like they'll do. In fact, they, people talk, try to tell you that what you see doesn't affect you. But yet, why will someone spend $20 million on a 30-second ad if it doesn't affect you? You know, so what you see absolutely affects you. But as I would, you know, as the, as the cumulative effect, McDonald's said it takes a accumulation of 17 ad, advertisements to really make its impact. So that's why you have to hear and keep on hearing to, to, to hook somebody. We need to think of the spiritual implication of that. But you go to the restaurant where you saw the hamburger on TV advertised and you get your burger. You know, and you think to yourself, wait a minute, I came here because I saw the air, I don't know how they airbrushed the, 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 the bun, but there it is just sitting there this and then you look at your burger, and, you, and sometimes I've literally just gone up to the cashier with, and held my burger up to the poster and just let them just, you know, kind of inductively come to their own conclusion that this does not match. And I think that if you take the Scripture and you hold what we are up to that, see, I don't, I don't, wanna, I don't want to become that. I don't want to be the dried out, you know, looks like it's been in the heat lamp too long, Christianity, okay? I want this. I don't want to come down to that and accept that as normal. You see, I want to see what this is and say, can we not come up? In fact, revival, you know, in, in the South here, I used people, people say, Brother Rice, would you please come to our church and hold a revival? I'm thinking, hold a revival? Do you know what a revival is? Revival is not some sign you put out in front of your church. You know, revival next month. And here in Tennessee, we'll put the evangelist name, Evangelist A.O., and then his nickname in quotes, Buddy Jones speaking, W.O. Skillet Wilson preaching. You know, revival is literally, what revival is, is when God comes down and lifts us from here to here. That's what revival is. All right? So, but I remember just getting around a, a, a classmate uh, that I'd known uh, Saw him in college, and it was a lot. I'm six three. He was like six seven or something, and he was always the the life of the party and the one that was using bad language. And I went up to him. I said, "How the you know so and so are? How you and blankety blank are you?" And he looked at me and said, "I don't talk that way anymore." Followed him to church, and he was I, I, he was sitting in church, and I and I saw his lips moving during worship, and I thought I heard him speaking in another language, and I literally got on my tiptoes. Because he's taller to try, and he kind of looked out like, hey man, what's going on? I said, I'm sorry, just keep going. You know, I just, I was so enamored with the possibility that something here could happen here that I said, I've got to have that. And that's why Jesus said, those who hunger and thirst. So that experience happened to me, and that has been the impetus, that has been the, the, the energy, not my human energy. But the energy, that's what's happened to Pastor James and everybody that you see. This is not just, we're just excited people. It's an energy that comes. And so there is more. I think the, the starting theme is, is that there's more. Wherever you are, and there's more than Acts 2.4. Acts 2.4 is great. If you haven't received that, there's more for you. But the Bible doesn't end in Acts 2.4. It keeps going. There's other things. There's, other, there's a purpose that God has for you. 
But you know, the backdrop of this experience was the day of Pentecost. Now, again, there is no why in Pentecost, just so in case you want to understand that. We, we like to say Pentecost as if that's, but it's not. It's Penta. It means 50, 50 days after Passover. So three major feasts. You had the Passover where Jesus was crucified. He's raised from the dead. In 40 days, he appears to his disciples with many convincing proofs. And then, he's, then he ascends, and he tells his disciples, wait in the city until you were clothed with this power from on high. And so for 10 days they were praying. And it says, when the day of Pentecost, it's Greek for 50. In Hebrew, it's the uh, Pentecost is the, the, the word Shavuot, which means weeks, seven weeks after, after this moment of Pentecost to the Jewish people. Uh, Pentecost, what we would have called Shavuot, was originally Moses bringing down the Ten Commandments. They celebrated in Israel. It's called Simchat Torah, where they read the Torah uh, every year. And then at the end of the year on Simchat Torah, I was there when they spill out and out of the synagogues with the Torah scrolls, and they go through the streets celebrating. But see, now in Pentecost, it's not just the celebrating of Moses sending down the law from the mountain, but, but Jesus sending the Spirit, the Father sending the Spirit down upon his church. And it also was a celebration of first fruits. The first fruits of the harvest that you wave before the Lord. And so here at Pentecost, in the Bible, were the first fruits of the church. The entire church could fit into one location, 120 believers, the very first fruits. Imagine, imagine all of Christians, that we're the only Christians in the world. Now, some people think that in some churches in these city, but there are other Christians. But imagine 2,000 years ago being in one room with 120 people, and this was the complete population of Christianity in one spot. And how quickly it would grow. Critics have said things like, oh, well, the church started in the 300s with Constantine. And no, no, no. The church started three days after the resurrection. Every book in the New Testament is there. The reason why you don't have spurious books like the Gospel of Thomas and Judas is because they have been dated to be in second century or beyond. The reason why these books are in the New Testament is because they all were written verifiably within the first century. So if you, you can see the book of Acts, this is church history of what happened in this explosive period. Literally, the book of Acts is the first 30 years of the church. The first 30 years, and you have this, you're talking about a big bang. You had a big bang of explosion from this singularity of these 120 people that touched the planet. Well, then by the time of Constantine, the reason why the emperor had had such a change and tried to make everybody Christian is because uh, Christianity had pretty much caused the Roman Empire to, to bow its knee. It had, it had crumbled, not, not from power, not from might, as the uh, historian Rodney Stark said, Caesar and Christ met in the Colosseum and Christ won. Not by the sword, but by the power of truth. You can say amen if you'd like, but that's okay. Pastor James will help me anyway. So the backdrop is Pentecost. And what was it? Every nation. Every nation. You see, there's a reason God doesn't give you things so we can... God didn't pour out his spirit so we could watch TV in a good mood. This is not about this personal empowerment just so that we can do our thing, you know, and, and not have stress and, you know, fulfill our agenda. No, God has a purpose. If you think you have a purpose, God has a bigger purpose. And the purpose has always been the nations. If you took seven billion people on the planet and you reduced it down to just a representative group of seven, 
you would have one person that would be black, one that would be white, one that would be Hispanic or Latino, a lot of Asians and a lot and Indians. I mean, God must love the Chinese because he made more of them than anyone else. Okay. Believe me, my name is Rice. They love me there in China. Um, just not going now. But anyway, um, so the backdrop is always about the nations. It's always about something greater. For God so loved the world, not the black world, the white world, the Latino world, the entire world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God waited until the world was gathered at this spot, and that's the context. That's the backdrop. That was the Super Bowl of Super Bowls when the Spirit was poured out so that the nations could have this experience and carry it back. You know, it's interesting with viruses, we, just to see how it can be traced back to certain places, and you have to stop it. Well, it says in the book of Acts repeatedly this phrase. It says, and the word of God kept on spreading. You couldn't contain it. And then it says, each one of them, when they heard this, were hearing them speaking in their own language. You know, obviously there was a supernatural opening of the ears to hear. If 120 people were all speaking in different languages, I mean, it would sound maybe like a cacophony or like you'd imagine at the New York Stock Exchange when you can hear so many voices. But somehow, not only was there supernatural languages, but there was supernatural opening of the ears. But I think there's another application because there's, there's this missiological thing of the every nation context of God wanting the nations, but also there's a very practical thing. The gospel comes to everyone in their own language. And if we care about people, we want to we speak in a way they understand. This week I was at University of Hawaii. Now, believe me, believe me I was there speaking on campus. I wasn't just out there, if somebody, if somebody says Hawaii, they instantly think that's just a cover-up. You know, no, there's the university there. Go online, the pictures are there. But the things I say at the University of Hawaii these past two, uh, on Wednesday and Thursday, that language is different than the language of church. For me to speak, I have to speak in such a way that they understand. And if you care about the people you're trying to reach, you want to learn their language. Daniel and, the, and, and his friends learned, it says they learned the language of Babylon. You're in Babylon, so we can, we can either speak our church language and do things the way we do here, or we can say, how can I decode what I'm saying so that every generation has to hear it? And believe me, when you speak in a language, no matter who you're talking to, it doesn't matter what age you are. I mean, I'm the world's oldest living teenager out on campus and it doesn't matter. I don't have to unbutton my shirt and get a little earring or a little chain and try to, you know, try to do something awkwardly boomerish and try to think that I can. No, I just need to speak in such a way that they can understand. And they don't leave. They stay sometimes four to five hours because they, they want to know if we can speak. And so let's don't, let's don't think about how can we export our culture to the world is how can we take God's truth and put it into the language of someone so they can understand it? it really, it really, you have to practice to reach lost people, not saying, sitting on the plane and going, amen, amen, oh, praise God. Okay, you have to catch yourself and say, wait a minute, if I do that, that's going to probably have as much an impact, maybe more than for me to not have a breath men in. I mean, you're going to see a reaction. 
Okay, so sneak up on people like that, all right? That, that, that wasn't in the notes, but that, that'll do. Here's another thought, is, is it says that they were all together in a house. Now, we would say, again, in Tennessee, we wouldn't just say they were in a house. We'd have to use two prepositions, up in a house. Or up in a house. You know, we are so prone to think that everything's going to happen in a big meeting. But if you go through the book of Acts, I mean, think about it. The day of Pentecost happened in a house. They were all together in a house. If you go through the book of Acts, it's just, you know, uh, Saul, the apostle Paul, was baptized and filled with the Spirit in a house. Pastor James is going to talk next week on what happened in Cornelius' house where the Spirit came to the Gentiles. This was to the Jews a few chapters later in a house. Uh, all, all down there, Paul, in the very end, of the, the, the very end of the book of Acts, it says Paul, after going through all he went through, it says he rented a house, stayed there two years, and out of that rented house, he preached for two years. Can you imagine the impact from that house of what happened? We're thankful. It's like, in fact, a 2020 vision put my scripture up here. This is a good 2020 scripture. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public. So we have public meetings and from house to house. Just, just leave that up there a minute. You see, I'm believing that you and I, we can all dedicate our houses this year. So how do we want to have an impact? Dedicate your house. As for me and my, we will serve the Lord. He believed the Philippian jailer said he believed and his whole household. And so the, the outreach to Philippi started in a house. Let's believe God for that. That's why these life groups, that's why, and don't think, well, I don't have a nice enough house. Listen, I've been to countries where what you have, no matter how uh, you disadvantaged we feel or you may feel, I've seen cardboard box houses where people, if the presence of God there, that's worth more than anything else as long as the presence is there. And then finally, it says, I'll go to verse one. I did all that just to get to my message, which is in verse one. I don't have long messages, just long introductions. It says, and when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, when I started reading this several years ago, I, I looked at verse 1 and saw the together of verse 1, and then I compared it to the together of verse 6. So in verse 6, when they hear the sound of this mighty rushing wind, the multitude came together. Now, there's a difference in being together and being together, okay? In fact, if you go into the languages, if you go into the Greek, some commentators have said it. It could almost be said like this, Acts 2.1, they were all together, together in one place. You see, you can be together but not be together. You can see a couple that's together, but they're not together. You can see crowds that seem together. You can get on an airplane and you're around, you're together. You can actually have a, a feigned moment of almost community. You, I mean, I get on airplanes and, and I hear people just instantly telling their names, their children's names, their social security number, their, how much they make it. Their, I mean, I'm listening to these conversations and I'm going, y'all don't know each other that well to tell them that much. And it's going to be this great sense of, because people are so hungry for community, as soon as they have any sense, well, if you're sitting in this seat, well, you're just supposed to be there and I'm supposed to be here, so let's talk. But as soon as you walk off that plane, it's over. I mean, you try to follow them beyond the plane door, I mean, they'll turn to you and say, look, man, we had a few laughs, but it's over. You know, you're stalking me now. 
You know, go to the game and you have the net. You're wearing the shirt. They're wearing the shirt. You're screaming. You're pouring drinks on one another. But again, when you walk out of that stadium, unless you have on the jersey, then you can kind of, you know, give somebody just a little, you know, maybe an acknowledgement. But, but see, what these people were is they were together together. We were out talking on Sunday night or Sunday night at that event in Sacramento. We were, they wanted us to talk about our relationships. So I was walking through, we were walking through things that we did to kind of cue each other up. And so I told the, the story that everybody loves here, one of our iconic stories, classic stories about the time that, you know, I said, I understood how looking at the black community, especially men, how black men would give another black man a courtesy nod. I told him that and, and how that we were walking down the airport one day and a brother was coming this way and Pastor James that way and he gave him a courtesy nod and uh, he didn't see it. So I picked it up, you know, and, and, and how the, and how the brother, the brother kind of looked at me like, man, get out of my nod, you know. But, so I told him that, but when I was reading this passage, I thought, you know, there's another kind of a brotherism a bro to brothertize this. See, now a white person, a white person would just say, they were together, together, kind of like they're at a spelling bee, you know? But see, if a brother would say this, they would go, they were together, together. And then you got to take a step, you know? See, it would be, you just can't take a step and then stop like you're taking a picture. Together, together. <laughs> they were all together, together. They were, there was one accord. You watch these teams. Whoever wins, not only will they probably give God glory, but they'll talk about that something happened that brought them together. One of our classic movies that kind of defines Bethel is Remember the Titans when they took two groups of people, two ethnicities, and they, they forced them together because of busing and all of that. And, and Denzel Coach uh, takes them out and basically takes them to a battlefield and says, if we don't come together, we will die like these people at this battlefield at Gettysburg. It's hard work to be together together. We do marriage seminars. But beyond marriage seminars, there's there's seminars where relationships have to be fought for. We have to intentionally. I, I, we were, when we, we began this church in 2000, when I began uh, my tenure here, and we had, you know, majority one ethnicity, and we began to intentionally change things, I'd come into the, we'd have a nice crowd of diverse people, but I would go into the gymnasium or some dinner we had or some youth thing, and I could see people were still, you know, you'd see the African-Americans at this table, the white people here, the Latinos here, and you realize that you can be together and have an appearance of it, but really not be together. And we had to, sometimes to be a missionary is not just going to another country, but it's going to another table in the lunchroom. It's making the step to say, would you come to dinner? It's looking at somebody from another ethnicity as we go out from this church and say, you know what, I, I was, you know, where are you from? I just was, I, I'm really interested in, see, as you pray for the nations. See, Pastor, Pastor Ron Lewis is one of our pastors. He was simply praying for the nations in a prayer meeting in the, in the late 90s. And he said he heard the voice of the Lord say China. A simple little word came to him in a prayer meeting as he prayed. As Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer for the nations. And he said the next day he was meeting with a couple for counseling, and they said, oh, we've been transferred by IBM to China. They set up a meeting where he went. 
got into a room with 18 people with the doors locked, the wind is is down, the doors locked, the shades pulled. Pastor Ron, I I verified this last night, began to preach on Acts 2-4. A wind came into the room. The curtains began to blow even though the windows were not open. They were all filled with the Spirit. A, A young man was in that room named Bob Fu. And if you Google the name Bob Fu, you'll see a book called God's Double Agent where this exact account is, is, is spelled out. He's now one of the great voices of, of religious freedom in China. You'll see him on CNN. You'll see him on Fox. You'll see him everywhere. But he was in that room. But it started as we pray for the nations. But as you stand, I want you to look at this verse. Look at this, Matthew, 18, or Matthew 16. Here's what we leave on the table. Okay, no, no. Take that off. That's the wrong one. That's the wrong one. That was actually, <laughs> ironically, that's not it. Here's, I'll quote it. You know it. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. We have a phone call on the second of every month with Global Evangelist, and that we've done it for three years this morning after I went from Hawaii and had Pastor James and I had a meeting on Friday night in New Orleans and then flew in yesterday and, and uh, then I re- oh, got a 7 a.m. because it's 7 a.m. here in Nashville. It's 2 p.m. in Europe and Africa and 9 p.m. in Asia. So we have to stagger it that way. So I was on a call this morning with evangelists from maybe 20 countries. And what's stunning is to, is to realize that and we, we do it on the second of every month because of this concept of the power of two. If two are gathered together, come on up, Pastor James, if two are gathered in my name, you see, you can be together as a couple. You go to this ordinary, no ordinary love weekend, and you, don't, you, you go from being together to being together together, you're going to see your house changed. Yes. Okay, you go from just being a, you just go from being two guys. See, there was something that happened to us that we went beyond, started with Sean's dad. This is Sean Dyer, who, Sean, raise your hand. Sean from, his dad is Pastor Tim Johnson. Y'all know you give, show some love for them. Don't, that, don't, don't tell me you forgot them already. But Pastor James and I, everything we have to give to people has been fought for. It's no superficiality. We have a thing called the cone of silence. When we're going to talk about stuff, it's like out of Get Smart from back in the day. And we're able to talk. And out of this comes something that we didn't realize what was going on. We just thought, I need this, you need this. It's helped our church. Now it's helping people in other churches and other countries. So Pastor James, we, we have people here today that as we've preached and had this whole meeting that need to come to Jesus, they need barriers broken Pray for us and in this meeting and whatever the Lord leads you to do. Let's give God praise for the word. That was pretty awesome. You know, it's uh, easy. We're getting ready to dismiss, but it is easy to have enjoyed the worship and enjoy the word and yet miss your individual moment. And that would be tragic to think that we're here like doing a concert or a performance. We're trying to see people come out of complete darkness into the marvelous light. The reality is, as pastor, I know that every Sunday when I grab this mic, 
that someone has come into this room who is not saved, not baptized, not filled with God's spirit. They're not in a discipleship relationship. And everything that Jesus died to give you, you are estranged from it. You know what? You know why we're here today? As much as we come corporately to enjoy Jesus, we come to a moment so that everybody who's far from him can be near. What if I told you that as much as these moments were designed to please Jesus, just as much it was designed to reach you where you're at? I know it's easy to stay in the dark, but I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head just for a moment. If you fit the description, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in a second, but I'm not going to embarrass you and I'm not going to call you out unless you actually want to come down. But if Jesus is not Lord of your life, or if you know you're far from Jesus, and today you say, I, I got to get it right. Then when I count to three, I just want you to raise your hand up and put it down real fast so maybe I can see it and I can have a prayer for you that can maybe change your life. One, two, three. Thank you. I saw quite a few hands go up. I saw them and it was quick. And But more importantly than me seeing you, Jesus saw you. If you've watched this message and you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, I've got good news. You can do it right now. I want you to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life for the rest of my life. I acknowledge I am a sinner. I need you, my Savior. I believe you died for me. I believe you were raised from the dead on the third day. And I confess that you are now Lord of my life. If you've just prayed that prayer, I have good news for you. You have eternal life. The next step for you is to get in a Bible-believing church. We volunteer to be that church. But if not us, we pray God's blessings on you as you search for God's best for you. Thank you. Bethel World Outreach Church. Reaching a city to touch the world.